This is the Jocko Underground podcast, number 48, sitting here with Echo Charles. Yes, sir. And was thinking through sort of, let's call it the lifespan of the podcast that we do called the Jocko Podcast. Mm-hmm. And there was a while where, a little while in the beginning, and someone asked me about this the other day, there's a little while in the beginning where we were considering, I was considering, instead of doing it once a week, doing it like once every two weeks, maybe even once a month. And we sort of talked about that. We, we, we kind of broached that topic a little bit on the podcast itself. And I think that was me kind of trying to socialize that idea a little bit with the people (laughs) (laughs) of saying, hey, this is not a real sustainable workload of the amount of effort that it takes to put into doing the podcast. And by the way, doing this podcast, doing the Jocko podcast and this podcast and the Unraveling podcast and the Warrior Kid podcast, like all these podcasts, they're not really my my primary job. So there's people that have a like the primary thing that they do with their life is do a podcast, but this isn't really. Oh, like other people do podcasts. Other people that do yeah, podcasts, yeah. like that's what they do in yeah. their life is yeah. they do podcasts. That's yeah. kind of it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is cool. This is This is one portion of what I do and the, so the workload, it's not like, oh, one podcast a week was a lot. I don't know if I can handle it. It was that one podcast a week plus the bunch of other things I have going on. It didn't seem like it was sustainable. And so I was kind of, I was kind of, you know, socializing the idea with the people of like, hey, you know, we're maybe thinking, well, the feedback was not good from the people. They were like, no, hell no. Uh, the first person I told about it was, was a guy was he was a guy I was working with through Echelon Front and he was like a big listener to the podcast. And I don't know how deep we were. We maybe were like 50 deep or something like this. Mm-hmm. But when I started to tell him, I was like, hey, we're thinking about going to once, you know, once every two weeks, maybe once a month. He was like, well, uh, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. He was, he was saying it as if I was cutting off oxygen to people. <laughs> so sure. that made me rethink it. Some of the feedback we got, but yeah, the work the workload is tough because there's no there's no staff, there's no one like helping to prep. There's no one doing any research or anything like that. Uh, and so, so that's so so we just kind of stuck stuck it stuck to it, you know. And then after a little while, after like another probably fifty podcasts, I said to myself that this the 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 discipline that was imposed upon me by forcing myself to do this thing was hugely beneficial. It was making me read more. It was making me write more. It was making me think through things more. It was making me question myself and what I knew or what I thought I knew. So essentially, there's a lot of things that I've thought about and put out that I never would have put out if I hadn't have been squeezing on my brain to put it out. There's a lot of books that I wouldn't have read and wouldn't have known anything about if I wouldn't have been saying, hey, I owe a podcast. So therefore, I have to read this book. Because otherwise, maybe I'd be, you know, watching uh, Netflix and, and, you know, eating popcorn in front of the television for four hours. But no, I'm reading a book for four hours. Mm -hmm. 
What am I doing on a Sunday? I'm reading a book. What am I doing on a Saturday evening? I'm reading a book. What am I doing Saturday day? I'm reading a book. What am I doing Monday afternoon? Oh, I'm prepping. So the, the, the benefit that that's given me has been great to put myself in a position where I kind of have to do this stuff. And I think right now we're going to keep pushing. Um, now, we, you know, explore some other topics that interest me. But yes, there are, other, there are other topics in the world that I'm interested in and that have influenced me and that I've learned from besides just war. Now, war obviously is my primary mode of thinking. Is that weird? Uh, well, a little bit weird. Yeah, for the normal person. If I'm sure. gonna if I'm gonna make a comparison, I'm almost always gonna go to war. Yeah. I'm always almost always gonna think about some kind of war because the comparison is like, okay, here's an example. We're gonna we're gonna be able to see the example very clearly because it's gonna be a life and death scenario. Yeah. This is gonna be a pressure leadership situation. Like war is good for that, and that's why I kind of think that way. But I also have gotten things from things that aren't war, from other aspects of life. From jujitsu is another huge one. But, you know, from surfing, from playing music, from listening to music, from just from other activities and other things and other people in life that I've met along the way. So, you know, maybe some people will be like, I don't want to hear about that stuff. And that's okay. Right? That's okay. I understand. There's going to be some people that just want to hear about war. Cool. That's cool. There might, maybe I'll make, maybe we'll make some podcasts that they might not want to listen to. Mm. You know, we've had some musicians on here. We've had a photographer on here. We've had we've we've had business people on. We've so we've had some other people mm. on the podcast, but it's okay because I think if I'm starting to do something that I'm not, or if I if I'm chasing something that I'm interested in, then I'm happy about it. Yeah. And I pursue it, and I would look on, I'm going to learn more. And if I learn something, here's the cool thing: just like a book, if I pick up a book to do the podcast on, and I get 20 pages into the book, and I'm like, this is not going to get me anywhere. It's not going to. I have nothing to pass on to anybody from this. Then I'm not doing it. Well, if I decide to think about doing a topic, and I decide, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't like. There's nothing to learn here. There's no broad lessons for for the people. I'm not putting it out. So. Nah, I think we just keep driving. We will keep driving down this road. We don't know what's up ahead. I, I legitimately don't know what what's up ahead as far as topics, as far as like subject matter, as far as human beings that we bring on or that come on. I don't know. I don't know where it ends up because I'm not. I'm not sure where the road goes. But it has been been a long, strange trip this far. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the the good, and this is me speaking from an audience member perspective Jack. and a fan, um, where you know there's a lot of interesting books, and you know whether they be about war or not, there's a lot of interesting people, whether they be military people, present, past, or not. Um, <clears throat> but I think that what I'd always really enjoy or learn from or both is kind of your take on all of it mm-hmm. where you know you know colder than hell right mm-hmm. cool good book you know i don't know that i would read that book just on my own as if you didn't exist i don't know but hearing it from you yes of course yes made it like oh that's interesting 
and you know heavy and like all this stuff but what really what i really was a fan of was your take on it and the fact that i could or someone i mean in this case it's me where i could ask questions to clarify or what do you think about this element of that or how does this apply to you or me or whatever like i, I feel like that part really has the value of it which kind of goes in line with kind of what you were saying but um <clears throat> even more than that and rewind back to you um talking about doing it once a week it kind of put in my head where you know how you know in the beginning when we first started a lot of people a lot of people would ask, and i really mean it a lot of people would ask me hey like how do i start a podcast so much where i put a page on the website saying this is how you start a podcast here's all the equipment or whatever so i didn't have to you know answer the questions all the time um so let me ask you, like, how hard is it to do this podcast? Like, as far as hardness goes, I know you, this is a very specific podcast where you got to read and do all that stuff. But, like, just consider that maybe it wasn't that much work for you. But just, I don't know, maybe arbitrarily just sort of think, uh, generally speaking, how hard is it to do a podcast doing it versus, like, seeing it from the outside, what you'd expect? It's probably a lot harder than it seems like it's going to be. Yeah. And 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 I think the weird thing is, especially now that the that there's so many different podcasts and there's it, look there's millions of podcasts and maybe maybe ten percent of them are good, yeah. right? Which which what that means is so let's say there's a million. I think there's more like more than a million, but let's just say there's a million mm-hmm. and ten percent of them are good. Mm-hmm. That means there's a hundred thousand good podcasts to listen to, and yeah. you're not even going to find them. And so, if you're jumping into the podcast scene right now, it's going to be really difficult to get people to start listening to your podcast because they've already got nine hundred ninety-nine thousand other podcasts. Or sorry, they've got ninety-nine thousand other podcasts in their download that they're going to listen to yeah. before you get in the game. Yeah. So. I think now it's really hard because there's very little return on investment for having a podcast because the chances of people listening to it are relatively small. Now, if you're doing your podcast because you want to do it and because you enjoy talking to people and and you're doing it for yourself, cool. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to go about it. That's that is kind of how we went about it. Yeah. We happened to get into the game when it was easier to get into the game. And we got freaking great support from Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan, you know, giving us some giving us some props out of the gate, which kind of brought us up to speed real quick. Very lucky for that. But and then we just kind of stayed there because there wasn't really any other podcast that was like what we're doing. So, yes, I think it's harder than it than it seems. I'd say it's like, you know. Oh, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Right. Seems real easy, yeah. not real easy. Yeah. I'm going to be a well, what else? What else looks easy but it isn't so easy? News anchor. I'm going to be a news anchor. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah, you just freaking read something yeah. or say something just about the weather something or something about the weather. Yeah. Come on. Uh I think even actor. Yeah, yeah, acting is big cuz people sure. think but when you see someone that sucks at acting and occasionally, you know, someone that's some kind of star athlete will get put in a movie. <laughs> sure. Sometimes they pull it off. Sure. But sometimes they don't. Yeah. And you go, oh, acting is harder than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sad statement, but it's true. Yeah. So I, I think maybe podcasting is like that. I think I think Rogan 
definitely makes a lot of people think because yeah. he's he's one of those people that you know when you watch a good surfer you're like dude i think i could yeah, I you know i think i could do that no, <laughs> because that person's making it look so easy and rogan yeah. makes it look real easy because yeah. he's just kind of cruising through these conversations yeah and then you go oh you get into a conversation with someone and it's not going somewhere yeah. joe rogan is a black belt at finding a place to pick it up and maneuver it and listen and and push back but not too hard and and give resistance enough that it makes the person work which gives more information like he's just a pro yep. and it seems cuz he, he's so good at it that it seems kind of like it might be pretty easy yeah so you know the hey i'm just going to kind of do what joe rogan does yeah. is a real uh, <laughs> it's a real ambush waiting to happen to your ego <laughs> oh yeah. i'll tell you right here man that is so so true cuz like especially if you've been following him from the beginning where you know, when they started, they were on this, like, the most rudimentary live streaming website. Yep. It's called something Justin TV yeah. or sort of Justin.tv or something like this where him and this guy Red Band, mm-hmm. Brian, they would, like, and Eddie Bravo would be on there somewhere. And they're just talking. <laughs> and they're, like, you listen to it. And I'm, like, why am I listening to this? Even though it is kind of fun to listen to. It's just guys talking trash and having fun making jokes and stuff. So even that then, like, even that. He had skill in that, yeah. which is literally unseen. Like even him making like dumb jokes on the fly or whatever, they're kind of funny. He's a comedian, so he knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and as he evolved, just and it seemed really natural too, where he just got more and more into the conversational kind of part of it. But at the same time, it wasn't like this prepared performance no. like you might see on TV or something like this. And you know, some people they can do a performance and a play or something like this, and you'd be like, oh, he nailed that. I, I don't think I could do that or a singer or something. But a conversationalist, man, it's kind of like the better they are, the less you see of 100%. the craft, you know. And and to most of us, we're like, oh, man, that'd be the best job ever. All I got to do is nothing, basically just be me and talk to these freaking cool people or whatever. So, yeah, like, man, so when we started – um, when you would talk, you're like kind of the same way where you're just literally the exact same person off the mic as you are on the mic. But when you get on the mic as a normal person, it's like, oh, you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're on the mic now. And it's way yeah. different. Just like how you said the actors, like, you know, I can act and once all the cameras are on and everyone's watching you and the yeah. microphone's in your face and you're like, oh, like, bro, you don't know what to do. It's, it's like, funny. yeah. At Echelon Front, when we're making like, uh, videos at echelon front for for training for yep. putting out word mm-hmm. and everyone's joke is like is everyone knows what they're gonna say and then the camera hits record yep. and everyone just goes into brain lock and it takes nine takes yes, to get sir. a 45 second video yep. <laughs> it's true bro that's real you know so that's like a skill it's one of those unseen skills you know and it's really really critical so um so that's what I noticed. And then here's when I really noticed it. When we started, and then a lot of people that we know, um, they come to me and ask me, hey, I, I want to start a podcast and all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I know ex- I know how you feel. Freaking like when I heard Joe Rogan, freaking I wanted to start a podcast. Like my dream career would be that right there. Just sit in my own house or my basement or some place that I made up and talk to my friends and, and talk trash and just get paid for that. Bro, this is the best job Wait, in the world. So you kind of do have your dream job in a way. Yep, I do. <laughs> it's even better because there's no pressure. I can just let you talk, you know. <laughs> but so I understood, but they'd be like, hey, what advice do you have or whatever? And that's what I would say. I would, and here's another f- f- phenomenon that I would see 
where some people, some people, they embrace the cameras and all that, and then they act like a different person. Mm. It's like all of a sudden they're this like dramatic expert now. You know, <laughs> and it's like, bro, it's like he doesn't sound right. Bro. So yeah. that, and then, um, and then the the other main thing as far as advice that I would give, and I still would will give, is like you got to keep doing it. Well. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because a lot of the people along the way that we saw that would like start a podcast and then would stop. Yes, and it's probably good that they stopped. Mm. It's look, mm. I, there's a lot of people that started podcasts along the way, and like they would tag us, "Hey, just did our first episode or whatever. Tell us what you think or something like this." And I'm talking, this is like five years ago. This is and. and I listen to him and be like, you know, hey, sounds good, whatever. I'm, I'm not like I don't even know who the person is. What I'm going to say, like, hey, you, uh, what I'd recommend is your format. You know, I wasn't going to do this. Yeah. Like you, you, because also I never think that I'm going to be right about stuff. I don't think that. I don't even think I don't think and didn't think I was right about the our podcast. Yeah. Like, hey, I think this is going to be the big. You know, this is going to be. This is, people are going to really want to listen about the freaking Holocaust and the yeah. Holodomor and and pr- prisoner of war camps. That's going to be great and lovely. People are gonna, like. I I didn't have that feel. I thought some people might like to listen to it. Yeah. So I wasn't going to tell someone that had done a podcast. Like, well, I don't think people are going to want to listen to this because I'm not normal and I don't know. I don't know what normal people are going to want to listen to. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is you're not going to get traction. Very seldom are you going to get traction quickly. But also, there's a chance you're just not going to get traction. There's a chance that whatever you're doing maybe isn't that – it doesn't appeal to people. Yeah. And, and what really sucks about that is there's a chance that you, whoever you are, don't appeal to people when you're in that mode. Whatever mode you're projecting, because you're right. Like, like I said at Echelon Front, like we'll when we hit record for some one minute video, mm-hmm. like I just say what I would normally say and I'm done. Yeah. There you go. It was like, oh, I well, did it once. Hey, you want to know about decentralized command? Blah blah. blah I'll say it and then cool. Press stop and walk away. <laughs> some other members of the team they like get in the mode of like, okay, I need to say something, you know. Uh, profound or yeah. or I need to put a little zing on it or whatever. Right. And then they're not being themselves, then it's hard to do. It's hard yeah. to pretend to be someone else. and Not to mention that, you know, how they you get jammed up. Oh, yeah. They and get we jammed. laugh at them. It's a fun, <laughs> no, I'm saying like, they laugh at themselves, that. too. Yeah. They laugh at themselves, too. Well, you know how you said in stunt driving or whatever you guys learned? Yeah. Uh, where you got to focus on, like, if you're trying to shoot a gap or, or make it through a gap, you got to focus yep. on the gap. Don't try to avoid the cars or the yeah, sides. Don't look at the car you might hit because yeah. you'll hit that car. So when you're on on the ca- on camera or something, if you start trying to not mess up, bro, oh, you're going to be messing up oh, all the time, yeah. man. So you just got to kind of forget. But I don't know. Yeah, it's um that, that's a that's an interesting thing where it's like, it's way harder than it looks, and it's almost like you won't even believe it until you do it. It's like, oh, of course it is. Like acting, that's a, such a good example because I did some acting before. So have you, SAG member? <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, I'm not Wait, on that. Is the main acting that you did the movie that you made? Uh, yeah, you know, a bunch of. Did you do more than that that I don't know about? No, all the acting I've done, you, you know about. Okay, so, so this know. is acting that you did for your own. <laughs> For, uh, for your own work for a movie say. I did yeah that yeah my own movie and then just d- like yeah, even yeah, little, little videos yeah, let's yeah, face yeah. it I'm freaking acting in that yeah. thing lower level than you I understand you know? uh, but hey, nonetheless, hey, nonetheless hey, <laughs> um the point is it doesn't matter 
when the cameras roll and everyone's looking at you to, and then you got to memorize lines, you got to project a certain emotion, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, until you jump in there. But like, yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to understand that how much harder it is than it looks. I would not want to have to memorize so many lines like every week for, if you're on a TV show, like when I was, when I was on billions yeah. And those guys had all these lines. I had to memorize like four lines, bro. Yeah. And they were lines that I already used in my regular life. It wasn't like <laughs> so they were like, you know, just basic stuff yeah. that I already said. So it wasn't like some yeah. weird character I was playing. I was just being me. Yeah. And I and even that, I was kind of like, uh oh. Because uh, I showed up, I didn't know you actually had to memorize. I thought, I thought acting, <laughs> I thought the whole thing was kind of more improvisational, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I thought, here's the idea. Yeah. You just go out there and roll with it. I didn't know you had to do one scene 50 times. Yeah. And if you didn't say the same thing, you're going to have like real problems and editing the whole thing together. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. So I just showed up thinking, dude, I'm just going to say whatever I want. You know, I got, I got the general gist of what they want me to yeah. say. Yeah. And then I got there and I realized, oh my gosh, I have to say the same thing every time. Yeah. And so then I sat there and really quick, like I watched another scene getting filmed and I was like, oh my God, I gotta say the same thing. Then I pulled out the script that they had sent me and I started trying to memorize it and I did. Yeah. But luckily, like I said, it was only a few lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But watching them, mm-hmm. and then when you actually watch the TV show, yeah. you're like, these people mem- have to memorize all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure they get in the, I'm sure they get a skill for it, oh, you know, yeah. where they learn how to memorize better. Yeah. But man, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like being contained to a script. Yeah. And then that's but and then again, like when you say a skill, it's like if you're a professional actor, that's just one of the many skills that you have mm-hmm. that you might not see. Like, you know, you see a guy doing, let's say, skateboarding, right? Yep. And he does a freaking half pipe. You know the stuff they do in the half mm-hmm. pipe. It's all crazy. You can see, oh, damn, I can see this motherfucker practice that trick literally every day, probably like tens of thousands of times. Yep. You can see it right there. Yep. And he lands it. You're like, boom, he landed that shit. Acting is kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you don't see the skill say, as prevalently. If you can see it, then then, you, then yeah. they didn't do a good job. Right, right, right. right. And yeah. I, what I thought you were going to say is that in skateboarding, there's like millions of little things going on that you actually can't see. Yeah, that's true. You know, like but, where your weight is going when you land on the board coming down a half pipe into the transition. Like, oh, yeah. it's not like, hey, move your foot here, spin the board here. Like, no, there's weight and balance distribution that you can't even remotely see, but it's going on. Yeah. And, the, and yeah, that's part of the gig, too, for sure. But just the nature of it where, like, acting, the less you see, um, the better they're doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Check. So, All right. Well, there we are. Little, I don't know, little uh, podcast information. Let's get to some Q and A. First question. I'm a new Army recruiter at a very small station, only myself and the station commander. As I left my last unit in Korea, my terrible PSG. PSG? What is that? Sergeant. Yeah, PSG, told me that I would suffer as a recruiter because I would not gain any leadership experience due to my not having any soldiers under me. As much as it pains me to think he may be right, I'm having a hard time seeing where I will get to work leadership muscles in my new position. I know I still have the lead up the chain of command aspect to work on, but that is not quite the same as having people who report to you for guidance. Could you shed, could you shed some light on where I could continue? I can continue to work on my own 
development and before Jocko goes hard in the paint. <laughs> I do recognize my ego getting in the way of my taking advice from my previous leadership, but that guy was a tool. Yeah. Thank you for your help. Hard in the paint. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so uh, you're going to be a recruiter. This guy told you you're not gonna you're gonna suffer. You're, you're not gonna get any leadership experience. Cool. He had a bad attitude. Um, I don't. I actually don't think he's right. And let me tell you why. Because yeah. Okay. Number one, as you point out, yes, you're gonna be leading up the chain of command. Number two, you're gonna start to understand the needs of the army. You're gonna start to understand personnel needs and challenges and what it means to recruit and bring people into the army. You're gonna have a better understanding of young soldiers. You're gonna have a huge impact on preparing young soldiers for their journey and and making better soldiers by laying the best possible foundation. And, And there's a possibility there's a possibility that you as a recruiter can have a, a massive amount of impact on someone's entire career in the Army. The way you talk to them, the way you treat them, the way you, the things that you explain to them are important. The, the, the framework that you set as a recruiter can literally impact the behavior, the performance, and the life of the soldiers that you bring into the Army. So that's huge. On top of that, you are, you're saying not leading anyone below you. You got all these potential soldiers that you are going to guide and lead through their last part of their civilian life. So (laughs) they're going to have relationships that they're going to have to deal with. I mean, with their family, how they're going to work that out with their girlfriend, with their boyfriend, with their new fiance, with their girlfriend that they just got pregnant. There's all kinds of crazy things going on, right? What about their finances? What are they doing with their money? How are they setting themselves up? Are they are they going into debt right now? Are they are they doing things? Do they have some kind of a plan when they start getting a paycheck? What they're going to do with it? You can literally impact the rest of their lives. And you're going to be working with obviously the youngest generation of soldiers in the army. So so what adaptations are you making? What do you learn about them that allows you to hone your tools as a leader so that you can relate to your troops better? So on top of that, what you end up with is another view, another aspect of human nature. What can you learn from it? I learned, I learned lessons and I have a specific, I learned lessons from my, one of my, my middle daughter's eight-year-old birthday party. When she, when she turned eight years old, we had like a party at the beach and I did a bunch of like military drills with them and stuff. And I started to notice, (laughs) oh, I started seeing all these familiar personalities and I started seeing the group acting the same way that a SEAL platoon would act. Eight-year-old girls. You know, when I would give them a challenge and I put them in two teams, of course, they have to compete. Who's going to win, you know, a freaking piece of candy, right? So here's the sprint. Here's what you got to do. Bring the rocks, shovel the hole, like all this stuff. (laughs) And you'd start to see the personalities. Mm -hmm. That was one of the first things I noticed. I said, oh, wow, this is the same way a SEAL platoon acts. Mm -hmm. You got this guy over there 100% wants to win. You got this person over that's looking for a place to skate through. You got this person that doesn't want to be a part of the team. You got this person that's scared to say anything. Like, this is all in the SEAL platoon. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be able to learn from these recruits that you're working with 
And in my opinion, you're going to get leadership. You're going to get all kinds of leadership during this uh, recruiting tour. Not to mention, on top of all that, think of the professional develop you, you can do. Professional development you can do. Reading, listening, reading historical books, reading about leadership, listening to podcasts about leadership. You can you can take all this stuff and you can really develop yourself as a leader during this time. So I think it's going to be a good time and. Your tool of a boss, you can uh, you can say thanks, but you can ignore them. That uh, that sounded like some some party, yeah, their eight year old. Yeah, yeah, they got after boot camp party. Yeah, that was one of the my my middle daughter. Sure. One of the contests was go across the river and bring across the bring back the biggest rock that you can. Mm. So they're all going over and grabbing like. You know, like maybe a a baseball sized rock, maybe a maybe a softball sized rock, maybe slightly bigger than that. But now, you know, you got to try and swim this thing across. My middle daughter grabs a freaking boulder, a small boulder, like like basketball size. Oh damn! Yeah, and she just picks it up and she starts walking across the river, (laughs) and. Then the river gets deep. Right. This is a this is a tidal river, right? This is a river that flows into the ocean, but we're in a spot where it's just a. It looks like a ri- it looks like a regular river, and then right. in a couple hundred, in another hundred yards, it opens up into the ocean. But this point, where the tide is, she's coming across and she's walking, and and it's getting deeper, 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 and then she just she just goes under. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just looking, going day, and then after you know, whatever six feet or seven feet, like her mouth comes up. She's like, <laughs> boom, she goes back under. Yeah. And then she makes another six or seven feet. Then her mouth, she's basically jumping off the bottom of the uh, river, yeah. blasting herself to the surface, grabbing a breath, and then continuing to walk across the bottom and then doing it. And she, she does it all the way until she comes out the other side. So she destroyed all comers. Damn. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, so who, what was the winner? The the person with the biggest rock or the quickest? The biggest rock. Biggest that rock. was the contest was who can get the biggest rock. Bring it over here. Kay. Line them up. So that is obviously a good story, but I wouldn't recommend that story for a normal person. This is why. Because I did the same thing, mm-hmm. essentially. different. It wasn't really a contest, I guess. It was just like for fun. So I have kettlebells. So... Um, my daughter likes to do that kind of stuff too, mm-hmm. where she's like, oh, let's bring the kettlebells in the pool. And yep. just whatever, throw them in and run on the bottom of the pool with them yeah. and stuff like that. So she starts running, and you know, the pool gets gradually deeper. Mm-hmm. So we have on our pool, there's like a, um, you know, those just little. Like the li- river. Yeah, it was the same exact yeah. scenario as far as like that individual task. So on the side of our pool has, the, you know, how le- there's like ledges yeah. on the, in, under, in, under the water mm-hmm. in the pool, you can like sit on them, right? Okay. So we have a few in the deep end and in the medium end. So she's trying to go to the medium end, but she's tiny. So that's way above her head, the medium end. But she wants to walk to on the bottom to that ledge. So I guess her little brain was like, didn't think of letting go of the kettlebell if it got too like mm. if she if she spent too much time under the water and she was like panicking and the kettlebell was too heavy for her to jump all the way up she was like small she's she's nine now so mm-hmm. this was maybe like I don't know six years old maybe and you could tell her I watched her panic bro I had to jump in and save her mm-hmm. I like had to undo her hand from yeah. the kettlebell and she was like she was kind of uh, what do you call shaking up yeah she was shaking up yeah. hey if that something like that happened to my daughter when she was with the rock. 
I couldn't see her because it was like dark water. Yeah, yeah. So river she would water. just be down there. That would have been it. <laughs> no, bro. You she gotta, was ready to go the gotta, distance <laughs> at all costs. You got to go search. <laughs> that, I feel like, and she was, what, eight? Yeah. Because as an adult, you know, just, oh, either like let go of the rock. So if you're trying to jump up and catch air and you can't, you're almost your brain's almost going to automatically just be like, let go of the rock. But then again, if you're real competitive minded, mm-hmm. maybe not. Well, you could definitely push for push for a, get a shallow water blackout for sure. hundred percent. Oh, yeah. That, that happens. I mean, there was two seals that, that died on the, um They were training with the kettlebell in the pool, man. And, you know, that's just an awful situation. But if you're pushing hard. Yeah. You can push yourself too hard in that scenario. It's awful. Yeah, and like kind of like how you always actually straight up what you always say, man, the water is like makes thing what do you call it? Makes it a real life operation yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it's true. Every time in the water it's a real world scenario. Right. You can straight up just yep. all of a sudden die. I used to do this and here's here I think this is good. So my, my kids learn to swim pretty young, mm-hmm. and, but before they knew how to swim, they're like one, one and a half, you know, when they can just start walking. So our pool has, you know, you know how you go, you can go up on that wall there yep. and jump off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would just let them go on that wall. Like, so they can fall off, they can't swim and they'll fall in the deep end. And everyone, like our neighbors and our friends would come over and they'd be like f- having heart attacks. Like, oh my gosh, like, how can you let them do that or whatever? I'm like, bro, if they fall in, I'll just jump and go save them. It's not like, you know, I'll have a chance. It's not like they're going to mm-hmm. die, like, right away, or chances are anyway. I know it's possible. But the way I see it, the more they go on that wall, the more they're going to be so used to going on that wall and, mm-hmm. and with balance and, like, all this stuff, and they won't have fear of jumping off that no, wall. What, what about, though, when you're not around and they decide they get in the yard for five minutes by themselves, they go on the wall? No, because remember that gate we had? Mm-hmm. You let, when you, that one time when you came over for I think it was Presley's party, mm-hmm. there was that gate. So that's before kids can swim. You got that gate up, the pool gate. Mm-hmm. So they will ne- if we're not around and outside, even if we're in the house, that gate is always locked. No way to get in there. Hundred percent. Hundred percent until they can fully swim. Yeah. Even if they can kind of swim, that gate is up. So you know you have a responsible. Uh, there's a responsibility element to it for yep. sure, and you got to be hundred percent ready to freaking dive yep. in and save that one year old kid in the water. That's right. Then if they do fall in, they might be a little bit traumatized. You might have some extra work to do. But <laughs> in my situation, worked out in both kids where they're not scared now. They'll just jump off stuff. And good to go. Good, balance. good to go. Good to go. All right. Next question. Next question. Hey guys, I'm from Australia, working in law enforcement. Things are hectic down here at the moment, and it's about to elevate further with everything that's happening. It makes you, us, ask a lot of questions. For me, mainly, the official narrative and the responses don't make sense. The, rece- the, re- the reasons we are being told to implement things is not congruent with the science. At first, I just thought it was due to incompetence of our system and department, but I think it's more than that, which leads, to me, leads me to my question. I believe we went through the information age, but now we're in the age of disinformation. How do you go about filtering the conflicting information from so many different sources? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the whole world is watching this unfold. I think that's a very good way of putting this going from the information age to the disinformation age. I think that's very uh, acute. Yeah observation of what's going on in the world and and even like the term the science as if the science is a be-all end-all 100% accurate because the science isn't science is just a hypothesis about what's going on yeah you know what's funny about that right there where the science 
it, you're right. The science isn't like it's not cut and dry. Even if you like read a yeah. real report, it's all it's, it's always like it's just more likely in this scenario. Yeah. Test size of the. It's like they don't say boom boom boom. You know who does that? The re- whoever's reporting to the people. Yeah. They're the ones saying like, yeah, I followed the science. You know, so it's like it's a di- it's the difference between data and information. Yeah. So. It's weird. Like even the expression "follow the science" now is just nothing. It means nothing. It's, they've now. blown it yeah. out out the window. Oh, so yeah. the science, yeah. you, as soon as you hear someone say that, you might as well. Oh, what some people think right now? Because that's what science is. That's what some people think right now. Because otherwise, you know, there was a time where the science said tobacco was good for you. There was a time where the science said fat was horrible for you. Well, to eat. I don't know if that's true. I think that was just the reporters with their agenda. But still, science. but you could still say there was the science pointed to it. The, there was a point where the science said uh, cocaine was the best yeah, way to do right. something. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. so yeah. the science has said a lot of wild things over the years. Yeah. So uh, not congruent with the science. What, what What scares me more is when it's not congruent with common sense. So... The the question here is how do you go about filtering the conflicting information from so many different sources? Listen, I kind of listen to a bunch of different sources, but I don't trust really kind of any of them. And I think this is what I do, and and, and I think it turns out to be an okay way to do it. I think if you back far enough away from the picture, if you back far away f- enough from the granular day-to-day flood of information, then a pattern starts to develop. You ever seen those pictures where like when you're up close to it, it's a bunch of little dots, yeah. a bunch of little smudges, it doesn't look like anything. Oh, yeah. And as you back away from it, it start, a pattern starts to develop and then eventually you see, oh, there's a picture. I, I think that's kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. And if you dig into anything, you get real close to it, it's gonna look a certain way, but when you back away from it and you put all the other texture and context and color around it, all of a sudden it looks different. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. I, I try and look at things from a distance, and, and what that distance really means is the distance is time and other information. That, that's what you, you can't literally step back away from it. The way you step back away from it is by letting more time pass through it and also by getting other information to put that singular piece of, that singular speck, that singular dot. Yeah. That's how I put it in, con- in context. So um, if I hear a story today, I'm not gonna react to it for a few weeks, maybe even a few months, right? And if you look at the way things went, you know, Australia clearly um, with the masks, America too, but the masks, the vaccines, the lockdowns, you know, how, how did those stories change on a, on a weekly, monthly basis? The lockdowns, how did they change on a weekly, monthly basis? The, the, more recently, the ghost of Ukraine. Right? Did you track that story at all, Echo? The ghost. The ghost of Ukraine, that there was this Ukrainian um, fighter pilot that was shooting down, they had video that was shooting down a bunch of Russian aircraft, but it was fake. (laughs) And and it was like video from a video game. But but it got traction. It got traction for a few days of like, you know, glory to glory to Ukraine, you know, they're shooting and it was it was whatever. 
Um, more recently, there was a video or there was images of um, of a Russian vehicle with a with a mobile cremation oven in the back to like burn bodies. And you know, so people are like, oh, they're committing war crimes, and they're covering up those war crimes by burning these bodies, and they do have mobile vehicles to do it with. Mm-hmm. Well, then someone pulled up like the exact image from 2007, some other scenario, and it's like, oh, so th- that's what's that's what's happening. And, you, and again, you got to see it with masks, you got to see it with vaccines, you got to see it with lockdowns. You know the the everyone you know masks don't do anything, and then it was masks. Well, you know you can't live without a mask. The vaccines were the same thing. Hey, if you get the vaccine, then you can't. You won't. Then you're good to go. And then oh, actually, well, no, you're not. Well, actually, it doesn't really matter. Like it's been freaking crazy. Yeah. Lockdowns the same thing. Lockdowns. There's plenty of science right now that are like, oh, lockdowns didn't do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. And, and there's still science that was like, oh, yes, it did. So it's all, what do you have to do? You have to take a step back from it and look at it. Mm-hmm. Like right now they're debating or they just postponed the removal of masks on aircraft mm-hmm. for another two weeks, you know, just to be sure. Meanwhile, whatever it was, in January they had the Super Bowl in Los Angeles and there was 100,000 people with no masks on, freaking spitting all over, yelling all over each other. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm sure right, they were spitting and there was no trip. super spreader event. Like it, yeah. it, you just have to take a step back and look at things, and not take one point, one pixel of information and react to it because it doesn't mean anything by itself. Yeah. So that's the word. I, you know, well, that's what happens when you get close to a, you walk up close to the TV screen where you can see the individual pixels. They don't mean anything. Yeah. You have to take a step back so those pixels start to get. They start to form a, a pattern, which then creates a picture. Um, things aren't always as they appear. Don't overreact to things. Almost everybody's, almost everybody that's putting out quote information, so-called information, has some kind of agenda. They got some kind of an agenda, so don't get sucked into it. Here's another thing to be careful of: don't overreact to other people's reactions. So there's someone else that sees that single pixel and they freaking go buck wild with it. Cause usually it's cause it's some kind of confirmation bias, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you see what I told you, yeah. right? And they're going yeah. nuts. And so what do we do? We go, oh, I saw another pixel over here, so I'm gonna attack you. Mm-hmm. So we end up in a, just a freaking stupid argument about nothing. I'm not gonna overreact to your reaction. Hey, you tell me about well, that pixel is definitely the way things are. Yeah. It's like, okay, dude, cool. Appreciate it, thanks for the input. And I'm gonna wait until a little time passes and some other pixels come into view and all of a sudden it's real obvious that you're wrong and, and even then if I attack you, see echo, that pixel wasn't what you thought it was. Well, then what do you do? All you do is scramble around, look for another pixel that supports your point of view and you're gonna bring that to me. Yeah. Instead of being like, you know, hey echo, did you see some of this information? What, what, do, you, what do you make of that? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, you know, some of the things have changed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just wondering what you thought. Instead of me attacking you, I just asked some earnest questions. Because otherwise, I got people digging in no matter how ridiculous their idea is or was or whatever. So I guess to answer the question, that's how I filter. Um, I, I take a breath. I let time pass. I let other information come to light. I don't overreact things to things and I allow time and other information to curb to diminish and to constrain 
some of the madness that this random information provokes. That's a, that's a good analogy, by the way, the pixel mm. thing. Because if you if we're all looking at the same picture, but certain pe- or, or, but we're all way close up, right? One guy might see a black <laughs> pixel. One mm. guy might see a white pixel. Mm-hmm. One guy might see a gray pixel. Mm-hmm. One guy might see a red pixel. Mm-hmm. One guy's screaming, nope, red, 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 all day. This guy's seen bro, yeah. black. And by the way, the one that sees a red pixel that's screaming about it, he's right. It is red. That's, that's what he exactly sees. That's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly yeah. right. And this guy sees gray. And you got groups and this guy's hollering at these guys. Look over here. Look at this red pixel. Oh, you're right. He's right too. Oh, I love you. You're always right. And all this stuff. Right? You guys all back up and you'd be like, oh, that's just a picture of a kid with an umbrella and mm. a balloon <laughs> and a dog or whatever. Okay. So over here it is red. So act accordingly to the red. Over here it is black. So act accordingly to the black. And that's usually how it shakes itself out. Where it's like what the, what's best for you and your community is going to be different than what's best for these guys for their community for these very specific reasons. So don't apply this rule or this protocol or this panic level to everybody. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But if you're only looking at your pixel, all you're seeing is your red and you're like, hey, you don't care about my red pixel over here? You're, you think this is black? I know red when I see it. You're over here ignoring the importance of this redness over here. And therefore, you're kind of a bad person. You see what I'm saying? And then we just go round and round. You know, that's why, uh, like on social media, sometimes something will be happening in the world. Hell yeah. And people will be like, hey, you know what? Don't you have anything to say about this, Jocko? I'm like, what? Like, my answer is no. My answer is no, because there's been one report from some source that no one knows anything about, and you want me to jump in and claim, oh, this is obviously a red pixel, and I can see that, and we need to react to it this way. It's like, no, actually, I'm going to let some time pass by, because, because as more facts come out, the chances are, it's the same thing. We've talked about this before. The first report from the battlefield is always wrong. It's not that the person, not that like when Leif calls me up and says, dude, we're, I think we might get overrun. It's not that he is trying to give me misinformation, but from what he sees from one, his vantage point at that time, he sees, you know, 15 enemy fighters charging down one street. What he can't see is that there's American soldiers two streets away that are closing on them and there's 150 of them. He's not getting overrun, but he doesn't know that. Yeah. He's just giving me his one perspective. Yeah. And I can't overreact to it. Now, I don't ignore him, but I listen to him and go, hey, all right, let me take a look at the big picture yeah. and see what's really going on. Yeah. And I th- appreciate your account, and I appreciate that you're telling me that this pixel's red, and I'm listening to you, but I'm not overreacting to it. Yeah. I'm going to put it into the calculus that I'm going to utilize to create an overall image and understanding of what's going on in the world. Yeah. yeah. You, you, say, you always tell this story. About the about the pizza people that you're consulting mm-hmm. and all the ingredients yeah, or whatever, yeah. it's kind of like that too, right? Where if you just see it as a bunch of pizza location, so the story goes: pizza location, right? And mm-hmm. the and the the owner, right, or whatever, was like, hey, they're they're jumbling up the ingredients. There's a protocol for like, yeah. okay, pepper pepperoni here, yeah. olives here, and they're in a very specific order right. for the for the manufacturing of these pizzas yeah. as they go out, right? Real efficient. But at these other he, look- he wanted all the co- all the toppings for the pizzas in his thirty pizza stores in a you know in a tri-state area to all have the pizza toppings in the same order. That way, if a cook doesn't show up in one restaurant, he can have another cook show up there, and he doesn't have to relearn where the condiments or where the toppings are. Right. 
which if you're just looking at that one pixel, okay, makes sense to me. Yeah. But then why do you, so why is there all this resistance to yeah, it? Yeah, because right? it was resistance from the stores, the yeah. stores, and this guy was basically asking the question, well, you know, I don't know what I got to do to get them to put the things where I want them. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So if you back up a little bit, just like how the story ends up going, where you back up and you start asking questions and like, hey, why do you guys push back on this? Why would you prefer it like this here and like this here and like this here? And you can see a bigger picture. You see, oh, okay. And the, so the, the answer was, I mean, you say it better than me, but. The, the answer was, there's two major answers. Number one was that this particular pizza place would go out and put its, its, it's a primarily delivery, and they'd go out and put their, their storefronts in a bunch of different pieces of real estate. And all the different real estate that they put it into is all different. So you didn't always have the same layout in the kitchens. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it didn't make sense to put the the toppings in a certain way. On top of that, different parts of town would have different preferential pizzas for whatever reason. You know, this area liked meat lover pizza. This area liked, you know, uh, vegan pizza. This area, you can imagine any metropolitan area, you've got certain areas that are probably gonna like more vegan pizza than they do uh, Hawaiian pizza, than they do meat lover's pizza. And that's exactly what these store owners had. So they would say, hey, you know, whatever, half the pizzas I make are meat lovers. And so therefore, we got sausage, we got pepperoni, like, and ham out of the gate. That's where we put our first toppings, right? Where we can grab them, we can refill them easy. And as we talked through that, the guy realized it was more of an ego thing because it was just, he was feeling like they weren't listening to. They weren't obeying. Imagine that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's like technically, conceptually, it's the exact same thing where you just look at it from your very, very narrow perspective. Right. You're going to see violations everywhere because mm-hmm. you just see your one thing. And, and then maybe you see a goal. Maybe you see your yeah. ideal or whatever or not. And then, yeah, you back up, listen a little bit more, look around a little bit more. You know, you kind of see a bigger picture, the whole picture, hopefully. Yeah. And then things yeah. will start to make a little bit more sense. So you don't got to get all nuts yeah. all the time it's funny on how social on social media how someone might like say like why aren't you commenting on this and then like four days later no one cares about whatever <laughs> people were asking me to comment on because it's turned out yeah. to be not a big deal yeah. a false report you know there's another side to the story and all of a yeah. sudden it's like doesn't seem like so obvious that you should take a quote aside on it yeah so gets crazy man yep that is interesting right where it turns out to be not a big deal that's a big one where it's like, oh, like, oh, this, uh, what is it, the UFO, right? That's, I'm not saying any specific incident, mm-hmm. but, oh, the UFO. And then they go, oh, wait, that's not a UFO. What were those things that, like, they call them orbs, I think, or something? Yeah. Where it's like this video phenomenon. Later on, they find out, oh, no, that's just a moth flying. Oh, did they really figure that out? Yeah, you know those things? That yeah. fly in front of the camera. It's oh, a moth really? and the oh. shutter speed. The thing is, I, I, I didn't know that. I hadn't heard that story. <laughs> I didn't comment on it. Yeah, I think. I mean, there was not many, in my opinion, there weren't many conclusions you could come to yeah. to that thing. It's either I don't know what the hell that is, all the way down to oh no, that that's obviously a bug given the shutter speed because like it, 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 there's a thing called yeah. motion blur yeah, yeah, in yeah, camera, yeah, yeah. and the faster the shutter speed, the less motion blur you have. So a lot of cameras, most cameras in certain, well, most cameras have the option to have an automatic shutter speed. When you have low light, 
Yeah, longer shutter longer speed. Sh- longer shutter speed, you get more motion yeah. blur. So you get a moth flapping his wings, flying in front of your camera. You got the motion blur from the wings and from the movement of the moth going across the screen. So you get a lot of weird motion blur, and it turns out some weird phenomenon. Now, if you don't mm-hmm. know about that kind of stuff, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to say, wow, that was obviously a ghost you know, a very specific ghostly phenomenon called an orb. And then one guy says it on a show. It's yeah. like, yeah, an orb. I've heard of that. I've seen that before. Yeah. There's another one. There's a orbs in the graveyard. <laughs> Attraction, exactly right. So you got all these orbs in the graveyard at night because they're from in the graveyard at night. And, you know, obviously it's haunted. So the conclusion, following the science, right? Haunted graveyard. There you go. Orbs. <laughs> Boom. Good deal. Or just moths, right whichever. On. Good question. Next, Next question. question. Hi, Jocko Neko. I, I, I can come across to others harshly, and I've learned over the years that being too direct with my words can be harmful to the relationship and can be poor communication. I recently tried to give feedback to a colleague about her performance, and I communicated too directly. I did not think of it. I did not think it was too harsh at first as I was trying to share how great her presentation was and that it could be strengthened with a few points. It was clear from my colleagues' reaction that I messed up, and I've hurt my colleagues in the pro- or I have hurt my colleague in the process. I feel terrible, guilty, and ashamed. I'm curious how to deal with this feeling, guilty and or ashamed, when you take ownership of errors in communication. Many thanks. Well, for for one thing, to take some preemptive ownership here, I don't want to feel guilty or ashamed, so I'm very careful when I'm communicating negative feedback. Right? I I, I don't. I'm very cautious about that. Uh, That's why I use the indirect approach. That's why I ask earnest questions. That's why I ask them to debrief first. You know, like, hey, Echo, how'd how'd you do reading that last question? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. How'd you, oh, do you think that, you think that was kind of as good as you could do it? No, 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 it was authentic. Authentic, you know, do you think that people want to hear authentic or do you think they want to hear like maybe a little bit more smooth? Because authentic does have some Some credibility to it, right? Sure, but do you think that smoothness has some credibility too? I get your point Jocko (laughs) So you see what I'm saying? So asking some earnest questions about what's going on my goal is to have the person discover the shortfalls themselves, okay, so for, for one thing, let's just think through this by asking earnest questions. You know, you don't, I could take ownership too. You know, Echo, I don't think I've done a good job of explaining how important it is that when, when you read through these questions, they come across as smooth because if it's clunky, people are gonna think they're not prepared for this. People are gonna think they're not, they don't really care how it sounds. And next thing you know, they're not wanting to listen to the podcast because they can't stand listening to you trying to struggle through. <laughs> can't stand it. Damn. So uh, you make a good point. Taking ownership <laughs> is a way to mitigate the the negative impact that you're having. So so those are all things I've talk I talk about all the time. Get leadership strategy and tactics. I talk about how to give criticism in a in a in a more indirect way that's also still effective. Talk about the escalation of indirectness. So there's all kinds of things you can do there. Okay, so to your question, if I do mess up, okay, what do I do? I'm gonna take ownership of my delivery and what I said, right? I'm gonna explain that it was my fault, and it certainly was, and what the negative impact was, and I'm gonna take ownership of implementing some kind of a solution. So, hey, look, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but uh, let, let me rephrase this. So, 
when I'm going to give criticism, I'm going to say, I'm going to take ownership of the fault that you have. So if I'm like, hey, you know, you get done with your presentation, I say, you know, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but that one section of the brief, I, I just wasn't clear about what you were trying to say. Can you, can you explain it to me one more time? Because I, I, I just don't have the experience that you have with this, and there's some words that I'm, I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Can, can you do it again? And then you explain it again, and you explain it a little bit simpler, and you add a couple more words, and I, oh, and I write that word down, and I, when you get done, I say, yeah, you use this word, and it made it real clear. So I'm taking ownership of the mistakes that you made because I was unable to process the information or whatever. So that's just another way of taking ownership when you're offering criticism. Um, those are some things to do. Um, but yeah, I, the question of, I'm curious how you deal with feeling guilty and or ashamed when you take ownership of errors in communication. Um, the way that I deal with that is by taking ownership and saying, look, I shouldn't have done this. I, I know I'm talked to you in a, in a way that I shouldn't have talked to you. It's not, it's not the way I meant it to come across and that's my fault. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, am I still going to feel bad about it? If I make, you know, if echo storms out of the podcast studio here and he's in tears, am I going to feel bad about it? You know, of course I'll feel horrible. <laughs> but if I, if I hurt your feelings, am I going to feel bad about it? Of course. I'm be like, okay, I feel guilty. I didn't want to do it. So what do I do? Hey, this was my fault. I, I shouldn't have done it. Here's what the problem was. It's my fault. And, and that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, apologize, go back to building that relationship. That's, that's really, that's really what to do here. Yeah, that apology thing. I, I feel like a lot of, then again, my sample is not very, um, how should I say, accurate or whatever. But the like apologizing about something, like there's a spectrum of apology. And to me, it's only way down on this one side of the spectrum where it's effective. So like, you know how there's like the non-apology, right? Mm. You know, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry that you took mm. it that way. Kind I'm sorry of you thing. took it that way. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry you got your own feelings That's hurt. That's not an apology. Yeah, exactly right. But you still said sorry, so it's a, yeah, the non-apply. And then uh, to the other side. I'm sorry you were offended. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. But the, we say it all funny, but, bro, you hear that all oh, the time. 100%, dude. I'm sorry you thought that I was attacking you. Like, yeah. bro. Or I'm sorry you felt that way, whatever. So, uh, but way on the other side is the real one, where it's like, oh, yeah, man, man I'm sorry. And there's no justification, not mm-hmm. one, not like. You know, where it's all taking for real responsibility, right? With the thing, all the way down to the tone. Yeah. Like, it's not like no sarcasm, no, like, whatever. But the dangerous part is that in between or apology, where they're like, hey, man, I'm sorry. And you see this case. You ever watch uh, The Real Housewives of, I don't know, wherever? No, I have not watched The Real <laughs> Housewives of anywhere. I'm just saying, this is very surprising. Either way, you see just, um, you see a lot of this, right? Where they, you know, one good, they, there's always drama. That's what it's about. Jeez, I need to expand my repertoire. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? You go out to the field, you see these, you know, fun, this phenomenon. Nonetheless, uh, sh- like they'll always get Dude, into I can't some, believe you're putting yourself on report right now for watching this shit. But certain family members of mine that, you know, have authority in the household uh, okay. television right. scenario okay. from time Relationship to time. Relationship building. All right. Okay. Dude does watch it. Um, 
And so they'll get into some drama, you know, mm. and then one girl will be, be like, hey, you know, I should apologize, whatever. They'll go apologize and they'll say something along the lines of, hey, like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I just really felt attacked at that time. Ooh, see right there? <laughs> the thing is, it's true, but it's not a real apology. You know, you're like kind of in, the, in that in-betweener yeah. site, so it's not going to be as effective. So if you feel guilty or whatever, like you, you kind of basically blasted this poor girl after her report. Like, you know, he, he already said he's too direct, right? Yeah. Or he's probably said, hey, like, hey, your report was great. He said he already told her how great it was in this mm. certain way. But, hey, this part right here really sucked. <laughs> like, and you kind of, you're kind of junk at this, this kind of whatever. Whatever he said, I don't know. If he says sorry, if he says sorry in that way, or it's like, yeah, you know, I'm so sorry, but like, but it was kind of junk, you know, like where you kind of justify the, the, the behavior that you're saying sorry for or whatever. But it's just going to piss her off even more. Be careful with that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, cons- real apologies. Consult to the real housewives mm-hmm. for how not to do it. That's the conclusion. <laughs> Check. Uh, la, 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 la. Next question. Next question. I'm aspi- I am an, an aspiring. I'm aspiring to be a Navy SEAL. I recently obtained the Eagle Scout rank. Did you ever work with Eagle or Boy Scouts in the SEAL teams? I know a few para rescue Eagle Scouts, but I haven't heard about Eagle SEALs. And what are your thoughts on those? on youth learning this system of discipline and rank at an early age. I personally believe it is essential. Um, yeah, there were some, there were some Eagle Scouts along the way that I met um, from time to time. I think, what do I think of it? I think it's uh, I think it's a good system. I think it's a great system for teaching uh, young men some critical skills in life and also some important values as well. You know, you got to be dedicated to get there. You got to be disciplined. So it takes some hard work. Some work ethic gets taught. So, yeah, I think there's some some good value to it. Uh, I will say this. The best guys that I worked with that were Eagle Scouts were guys that after I'd worked with them for like a year or two years or three years, like something would come up in some random conversation. They'd be like, oh yeah, well, I was I was an Eagle Scout. Oh, oh, that, that's cool. Well, right on, you know. The worst ones were the, the guys, and there's probably like maybe two or three of these guys where it, you know, they were gonna let you know that they were an Eagle Scout, right? <laughs> Which is just kinda like weird. Uh, these were the ones that thought that being an Eagle Scout made them better. And I, I guess these were people who thought that being an Eagle Scout was essential, to use the term that's used in this, what you personally believe that it's being essential. And therefore thought that anyone who wasn't an Eagle Scout doesn't have essential skills and maybe doesn't have essential character that's needed and maybe they're not quite as good mm. as someone that's an Eagle Scout. So I would say don't be that kind of Eagle Scout. Don't be the kind of Eagle Scout that thinks being an Eagle Scout makes you better than people that aren't Eagle Scouts. Because guess what? It doesn't. The Eagle Scout qualities are trustworthiness, loyalty, helpfulness, friendliness, courteousness, kindness, obedience, cheerfulness, thriftiness, bravery, cleanliness, and reverence. Those are all great qualities to have. Oddly enough, the quality of humility is not mentioned in there. And the quality of humility is what I believe to be and what I've seen 
to be. The most important characteristic for a leader and for a human being to have. So I would say, as an Eagle Scout, congratulations. Make sure you stay humble, regardless of what you do. That's my statement. Makes sense. Next question. <clears throat> I've listened to the main podcast, Jocko Podcast, on and off for a few years now, and I recently subscribed to The Underground. I remember Jocko mentioning that he enjoyed reading Shakespeare during his English coursework in college. In the effort, in the effort to not be an uncultured swine, I purchased Shakespeare's complete collection. Oh. What I received was an eight-pound leather book bigger than two Bibles stacked up on top of each other, which the smallest fonts and with the smallest font size I've ever seen. My question for Jocko is: What were your favorites of his work, and what do you recommend I start with? Um. Okay, so. Uh, I would start with Henry V, which we covered on podcast 15, and then I would cover Hamlet, which we, I've tried, I got some ideas for us to do Hamlet on the regular podcast. I have tried to execute those ideas, and what I basically want to do is bring uh, some people in to, to, to help go through Hamlet. Haven't been successful yet. Uh, so I would start with those two. There you go. There's two. Two good, good, two good ones to start with. Here's the thing. You can't just pick them up and read them. That doesn't work. They will barely make any sense if they make any sense at all. And here's why. They are written in what is known as early modern English, which is not English that we speak right now. So first came Old English, which we can't understand. Go and go and um, just go on YouTube and watch someone reading Old English. Don't under, You can't understand it. It's unintelligible to us. You might recognize some like weird, like some word in there, but but not many. Then came Middle English, which we still can't really understand. We can't, we definitely can't understand it like fluently when someone's speaking it. Maybe if you got to look at it written down, you'd be able to decipher some of it because there's words that look like they're, you know, they're they're spelled a similar way. And if you put those couple words, like you'd be able to decipher it over time if you were given the time to do that. But still. You're not you're not getting there. You're not you're not understanding it, you know, fluently at all. Uh, then came the great vowel shift uh, of the 14th century, and we get into early modern English. And so, Shakespeare's plays are written in early modern English, which was only a hundred years old. Which a hundred? Imagine a hundred years old in a time when there's no internet, there's no TV, there's no radio, there's no telephone, like there's no way for this mass, for this transition of language to, to propagate throughout the world. So how long does it actually take when this new language shows up? It's not like we're getting there in a rapid way. Mm. So his plays are pretty distant from the actual English that we use. So there's a, an, an actual specific kind of language barrier and then on top of that, he's using puns and similes and metaphors and allusions and alliterations and symbolism and dramatic irony and dramatic devices and asides and foreshadowing and a bunch of other literary tools that give his work infinitely more meaning than the words that are on the page by themselves. So this is my recommendation. Get a guide. 
like a guide that's telling you that they have versions of these books where it it has the passage in in the way Shakespeare wrote it and then it's got a side by side that says this is what this means and then but you can't just do that because if you just read what it means you're not getting the meaning so you have to read what it means but then you have to actually go through and look up the four words out of 20 or the seven words out of 20 or the three words out of 20 that you have no idea what they mean. And then you have to look up what are their alternate meanings? Because a lot of times he'll use a a word that has four different meanings. One of them is totally unrelated, it doesn't matter. But the other three words can all be used to influence and and shadow and and shape what he's saying. Man, I should have I should have grabbed some and brought some examples of that. But that's what he does. Mm-hmm. He's using a word that can be taken in three different ways, and because it can be taken in three different ways, he's using that specific word because it's going to give you three different modes of thinking. Mm-hmm. So you have to get a guide, and then you have to get a dictionary, a good dictionary that's going to give you the roots of those words. Because some of the words had different meanings at that time as well. Because words shift the meaning over time. And sometimes the remnants of the origin of that word comes into play. Oh, like that's a word that used to mean blah. Mm. Or that's a word that in Latin root means this other thing. And that's what that king actually did. So all of a sudden you're thinking, oh. And, and when you do this, you're going to start to realize how dense these things are. And you also realize that it's not by chance. Like, you know, you, you read some poem when you're in high school and you're like, brah, sure. like, oh, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. really? He meant to do that? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, really? He meant to do that? Mm. And, and maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But when you read Shakespeare, you're like, oh, that, that's not a coincidence. Mm. Oh, and here's, here's how I know it's not a coincidence because a page and a half later, there it is again, completely related, no doubt about it. And then you start to realize that that whole text is like, is all interwoven. So when you get done reading it and with the dictionary, and then what you got to do is you go back and read it four or five times, and then you will start, then you will just start to understand the depth of the stories and the characters and the events and how they all reflect human, human nature. And here's the other thing. I wouldn't rush to read like I'd start, I'd spend the next year. I just said that a next year reading those two. Mm. Now, look, if you're doing it for six hours a day, you can move a little faster. But if you're doing this for an hour a day, mm. maybe two hours a day, I would look at doing this for a year, each word, because that will give you the ability to recognize how how deep all these Shakespearean poems and plays are they're freaking heavy look there's you know theories that this wasn't even one human being that this was a bunch of different people because the normal human the normal english speaking human has a vocabulary of like 5 to 7000 words mm-hmm. it's usually 5 but if you're a doctor or you're a lawyer and you know, you know a bunch of medicine names and you know a bunch of legal terms, maybe you get to 7,000, 8,000. Mm. Shakespeare in his plays has 40,000 words. 40,000 words. So that means he's what? Between 
five and eight times smarter than a normal, than every other human being. This guy is brilliant. Or the group of people that made up this guy mm-hmm. were brilliant. But then there's also like consistencies that they show that like, hey, this couldn't be a different person because no way could somebody have done this and done this and done this. It couldn't have been a, a group of people. Mm. I don't know the I don't know the facts. Well, let me say I don't I, I don't know who's right. I don't know if he was a bunch of people or if he was one person. He was definitely a person, mm-hmm. but they don't know if he got a bunch of help. Right, right. He knew things that like he couldn't have known. That's another weird thing, or like it'd be almost impossible to know. Mm-hmm. Like weird, like military facts from some part of the world that at that time just wasn't common knowledge. Mm-hmm. And how did he know that? Well, we don't. You know, that's the kind of thing that raises those questions. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're going to go into Shakespeare, don't rush it. Dude, some of the classes, the best classes that I took about Shakespeare was like two plays in a semester. Hmm. Just going deep mm-hmm. with a freaking a pickaxe and just digging in there. Sure. So go get some of that, man. And you know, this guy also asked Echo what you're currently reading. What's your favorite book? My favorite book. Yeah. I told you, Mind Games. Mind is games. my favorite, most pivotal book. Very, very simple. Yeah. Very simple. We need book. to cover that on this thing, man. Let's yeah, cover it, Mind Games. The, well, you the, can take lead. There, I'll sleep. There was one, there's one main <laughs> chapter on it, and that was the anger management one. And that kind of was a seed for a lot of stuff. Yeah, no. But there was a book called Contagious that I really liked. Um, uh, there was a book called Recommended by Jason Gardner mm-hmm. called um, The Four Agreements. He just sent that to me. Yep, that's a very good one. Okay, I'm going to check it out. I kind of like the style, too. It's kind of like spiritual style. Mm. Um, actually, not kind of. It is straight up spiritual, spiritual style. But, yeah. It, it's, what it does was, that mean, spiritual re- style? You know, when they refer to things as the ghost or the spirit or the, oh. the you know, the the winds of this, you know, like that kind of stuff. I'm not saying they necessarily say that. I'm just saying that's more of like a. It, it's weird for me because I don't like fantasy uh, things. Yeah. And this this goes to all fantasy. This is like Jason Gardner. Yeah. He wants to read about like uh, wizards, dragons, yeah. spaceships, yeah. like droids, like anything yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that you can make up. Yeah, it's hard for me to watch or read any of that stuff. Well, okay, yeah. Like even like watching Star Wars or or Harry Potter or um, any of these uh, things, right? Sci fi. I just I just don't like it. I'm like, eh, yeah, you know, if I want to. If I want to watch a cool sci-fi, if I want to watch it, it, why is sci-fi interesting? Is it because it's a robot? No, it's because the humans that they put in there interacting. If I'm going to watch that, I'm going to watch people in going into the Battle of Iwo Jima fighting. Like that's human interaction at its craziest level. So, um, and this one, this particular one, is it's it's not a fantasy type book. Mm-hmm. It's about a, an approach to life, like a philosophy. Yeah. So it's like, you know, one of the agreements is be impeccable with your word. And it's essentially that, like, essentially your words have meaning. So mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, you're intentional with the meaning of your words. Yeah. So don't, basically don't be negative. And he kind of lays it out. He just refers to stuff as like black magic, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know what he's talking about yeah. when he's like black magic. Or he'll refer to things as like garbage. Like, you know, basically anytime you speak negative words to or about someone, you essentially like take those negative things that you think you're projecting to the other person or about the other person but you're really just making that negativity your negativity kind of a thing he explains it way more eloquently than i do but it makes a lot of sense like every single one of them make a lot of sense yeah so it's 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 that kind of book it's really good right on awesome uh i guess that's it for today a little long echo be talking a lot (laughs) 
I am 100% certain you talked more than this. 100%. Anyways, thanks for joining us on The Underground. Uh, Appreciate all the support. Appreciate you getting after it. Um, Appreciate the questions you all submit. And if you want to hang out with us on the interwebs, we're there. Echoes at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. You know where to find all the gear, all the books, all the fuel, all that stuff. We appreciate it. Really appreciate the support for us and for you here on the underground. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.